Welcome to the Hatch and Curiosity podcast, where homeschooling families cultivate innovation through curiosity, creativity, and critical thinking. I'm your host, Christina Hatch. You're listening to episode four, How to Start a Nature Study, the second in a three-part Intro to Nature Study series. In this episode, we're going to go into the brass tacks of adding this habit to your homeschool by using the number one tool for nature study. This series was adapted from a conference class I taught on that subject that had a lot of visual aids and examples of resources. And I know you'll get value from the podcast as I lay out exactly how to get started. If you'd like to see the tools, resources mentioned, you can find it all in the show notes. Leonardo da Vinci, Isaac Newton, Charles Darwin, Marie Curie, Mary Kingsley, Thomas Edison, Lewis and Clark, and many other explorers, world leaders, and scientists kept a notebook of their observations, ideas, experiences with the natural world. These books are sometimes called field notes, a pocket notebook, adventure log, diary, natural history logs, botanical illustrations, and are most commonly referred to in our circles as nature journals. Now, if you're having a minor anxiety attack as you picture the breathtaking pages you've seen on Instagram, take a breath and go take a look at my drawings. (laughs) Seriously, though, my art continues to improve. And whether you're an artist or not, I have great news for you. Jennifer Landon, a botanical illustration professor at North Carolina State University, says, The abilities to see without bias and to focus on detail and pattern require training, not talent. I read a great article on the importance of the lost skill of drawing written by her. She is a biology professor who is reviving the merit of drawing as a way to learn because, she says, when we draw, we see things we'd otherwise overlook. Students in her class learn how to see and, in turn, how to draw. She does this for professional scientists, but a lot of information we have on natural history comes from the nature journals of citizen scientists or amateur naturalists who just took good notes on what they saw when they saw it. Charlotte Mason further saw the value in drawing when she said, It is only what we have truly seen that we can truly reproduce. Drawing is a skill of learning how to see, a form of expression, and a way to strengthen our hand-mind connection. In Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, which is one of my absolute favorites, a must-read, he talks about the rule of 10,000, how you can become the master of anything you spend 10,000 hours on, and then goes on to offer example after example of where this was proven true. Now, to spend 10,000 hours on nature journaling would take years of dedicated work. Yet, if you spend just two lessons a week working on drawing in one lesson and keeping a nature journal in the other over the course of the next year, you may spend 192 hours developing your ability to see and the technical skills you need to train your hand to use your tools. How much better do you think you could draw after 192 hours of practice? After a year, you'll see dramatic improvement and could potentially develop mastery over the course of your life. The habit will accumulate over time, and the really great thing about this type of illustration is that it requires no creativity. You can literally just strive to draw what is in front of you in the most accurate way and apply principles of art to your work. It is the skill you can acquire not just a gift that some have and some do not. Having no art background myself, this was still daunting, so I found some amazing resources I'd like to share with you in the show notes. But the basic idea is to learn the fundamentals of drawing with a drawing lesson each week, and then put those fundamentals to use by practicing it in your nature journal. 
Adding these two blocks to your schedule will greatly improve your drawing skill and nature journaling confidence. For those who don't strive to be an artist or are not convinced on the value of drawing, there are still many other ways to reap the benefits of this habit. In volume one, Charlotte Mason says, we are all meant to be naturalists, each in their own degree. Some of the younger kids are just not yet interested in this work as their hands and attentions may be underdeveloped. Older kids, if they have not built the habit of nature journaling or developed the skill of drawing, may be put off by having to draw what they see like their younger siblings. Some of the perfectionist kids may feel insecure about their art or misspellings. Kinesthetic learners may prefer to allow the caterpillar to crawl all over their hand and forget their notebook altogether. Analytical kids who prefer math to art will be less than enthused. There are always going to be obstacles to everything we do in our child's education. In these instances, I like to step back and say, why am I doing this? What do I hope to cultivate here? In the Handbook of Nature Study, that big Bible-looking book that you hear everybody talk about all the time by Annie Botsford Comstick, if nature study as taught does not make the child love nature and the out-of-doors, then it should cease. My main objectives of nature study are to cultivate a love of nature in my children, to spark their curiosity, to help them really look at the world and develop the skill of observation and scientific thinking. If a nature journal does not make them love nature, and there are tears every time it's pulled out, then they shouldn't keep one. But we will still go outside, because nature journal is just a tool to meet my objective, and if the tool doesn't suit the purpose, then leave it on the shelf. There are also ways around many of these objections. For younger kids, I let them participate when they choose to. It's available to them, but I don't ask them to keep a nature journal or prompt them to write. This way, when they see you or their older siblings, they can start training for the work on their terms. The best way to inspire older kids is to do it yourself so that they can see that this is serious work and not just child's play, and that you view it as a worthwhile use of your adult time as well. It's a lot harder to start a habit when they're older, though, and have already convinced themselves that they can't draw. So building it as part of your family culture from the early years really does make a big difference over time. For perfectionist kids, I make sure to show them my mistakes or examples of work progressing over time. Help them to focus on what they notice, not what they produce, and remind them that this is one of those skills that while frustrating when we can't make it look exactly as it does in our head, needs to be learned over time. They can do hard things and mistakes are good because that's how we learn. Kinesthetic learners are learning when they're doing and may not need a nature journal to concrete that knowledge. If you'd like to include it as part of their education though, providing them with different mediums like watercolors, pastels, clay sculptures, and experiences like leaf rubbings, measuring rainfall, and spore prints as they nature journal will help keep them more engaged. There are many ways to keep a nature journal too that are not artsy in any way. In fact, the nature journals that you have as examples in a Charlotte Mason education are mostly written narratives with a few sketches for reference. A great nature journal will include many forms of recording information, like lists, written narrations, observations or questions, predictions, measurements, calendars, tally marks, and recording changes over time. Math, language, and art can be used to express one's impressions, and a journal can be kept in any style that fits its maker. A nature journal is not just for the artist or dreamy tree hugger. It can be for the adventurer, the science, the curious, the poet, the data collector, the introspectors, and connectors. The value in keeping a notebook is in noticing the world around you and writing it down. It's in the noticing that we develop our attention and the writing it down that we concrete our found knowledge as our own. 
A final note on the individual's journal is that the nature journal is like a personal diary. It was not designed to be criticized and corrected. If they share it with you and you find their entries lacking, encourage them the next time with questions before they record and don't ever take a red line to their work. The spirit with which they make their notes is far more important than the information that they cover. So now you're ready to start nature journaling. You're convinced of its value, you've learned the basics of drawing, and you've figured out how to come over obstacles and objections. Let's get started. The first thing you'll need is a notebook. Some people like to use a multimedia paper notebooks that are completely blank inside and open for creativity. To others, a blank page is daunting, and they like to have something a little bit more structured with defined spaces for their observations. Still others like guided notebooks that provide instruction and outline what they are to observe when they go out, as well as how to record it. I have examples of each in the show notes. Elements you'll want to include in your entries regardless of your nature journal style are the date, location, and weather of your observations so that you have context as you look back on your entries. The next thing you'll need are some writing tools. There are so many other tools that you can use, but all you need aside from a notebook for record keeping is a pencil. Many like the idea of brush drawing, which is a whole other topic to dive into, but to do this, you're basically dry brushing or nearly dry brushing watercolor. I would recommend using a quality brush if you're gonna do this so that they get a feel for using real tools and don't get a distaste for it before they even begin. You don't need many brushes to get started. With your notebook, writing utensil, and appropriate gear, it's time to go outside. Some ways you can make this happen are to go hiking. You can find nearby trails through groups on Facebook or apps like All Trails. You could stop somewhere for the afternoon and explore one place, like a river or a campsite or some sand dunes. Bringing nature inside is fun as you spend more time capturing the details of a lily in a vase while you draw it. Go to a zoo, aquarium, bird reserve, butterfly habitat, or the like to observe some of the less common animals in your area and consult an expert on a topic you're curious about. Explore fossils or press flowers. Have a mini field lesson, like watching a spider catch its prey in its web and then talk about how it digests its food. Have a fish tank, bird feeder, pet, farm animals, ant farm, or beehive, so that they can watch these animals over time and become more closely acquainted with their habits and natures. You can look for specific things like tracks, rocks, and mushrooms when you go out, kind of like a treasure hunt. Once you're out there, help them learn to see and think like a scientist. I noticed, I wonder, it reminds me of, are three key phrases that John Muir Laws, the author of John Muir Laws, Guide to Nature, Drawing, and Journaling, suggest when making a journal entry. Encourage them to look closer or think deeper by asking questions while they're observing to help direct their attention to a certain detail or interaction. Or after they tell you what they saw, but before recording it, draw out closer inspection, deeper thought, or more detailed recollection. Questions like, how do you think they stay in that formation? Well, what color was the stem? How does it attach to the tree? How long did it hover? How many ducks did you see? What was the general shape of its tail? What do you think we could learn about where it lives from the shape of its feet? What's in the pellet? What's under the rock? How many petals does it have? Do you think it migrates or adapts for winter? Why do you think? If you were to guess? Have you seen other animals dig in the ground like that? How has the tree changed since the last time we were here? 
if, then. After modeling examples of questioning, encourage them to come up with questions of their own. Now that you have them looking closely at things and asking questions, they can record their observations. As mentioned before, they can draw, chart, list, write, measure, map. They can write questions or guess answers. Could it be? Maybe? What if? If they cannot write efficiently and comfortably for themselves, have them write an appropriate amount. For the little guys, it could be none at all or one key word. Maybe they can copy a sentence from you or write a sentence of their own. Then write out their narration for them so that they can have their own words to look back on later. As brave writer author Julie Bogart stresses, recording their words is powerful. It shows them that their words have value and their expressions are important enough to write down and remember. It makes them want to provide more thoughtful descriptions. Recording observations is best in the field so that they can capture the object of their attention from many angles using many senses. They'll be able to get a feel for an animal's behavior and movement, or physically handle the plant and notice the small details they may forget if recording it from memory later. It also helps to see the animals and plants interacting with their environment, and many plants will wilt or discolor soon after being removed from it. I totally recognize how hard this can be in difficult weather or with little ones in tow, so if you can't because of conditions or time constraints, take a picture or bring along a sample to help with recall. Having made your observations, it's time to dig deeper. Stopping at the recording stage is great if you want to build the habit, but if you want to grow in your understanding of nature more quickly than you can through your observations alone, or if you want to say, avoid poisonous plants, it's helpful to look at outside sources for further information. Also, in building this habit, you'll inevitably end up with exciting experiences. For example, let's say you find a badger. Imagine looking out your back window and seeing one for the first time. It would be like the first snow of the year, pandemonium. It may end up consuming your family in interest and excitement to where nothing else gets done for that part of the day and you spend your entire morning looking at YouTube videos and checking out books about badgers from the library. It's fun to whip out Google and further information can spur deeper inquiry or investment into what you're doing. Knowing the names of common birds has helped my children get excited when pointing them out to each other and feel familiar with them like old friends. I amazed my son with all the ways we could find out the answer to a question one day when he surprised me with the question, do chickens eat corn dogs? First, we looked at all the books we had at home about birds, which were not many. Then we went to the library for more. We found out that chickens are omnivores, but he wanted to be sure that they ate corn dogs. So we went and watched chickens at the neighbor's house down the road to see if we could find out by observing the chickens. They weren't eating corn dogs and she wasn't around to ask. So we called his aunt, who has chickens, to ask an expert. She told us they probably would. With our burning desire to know, we asked her to try feeding a corn dog to a chicken the next time she had the chance. It just so happened that her kids had some leftover corn dogs for lunch, so after a quick trip to the pen and learning through experience, we were happy to announce that chickens do indeed eat corn dogs. The point of this silly story is to show that Google isn't our only source, and it's fun to find our answers in quality nonfiction books field guides, living books, experimenting, and talking to an expert. One of Charlotte Mason's best suggestions on digging deeper is to give a mini lesson separate from field time or to add nature study books into your read aloud rotation. This way, they can make connections on their own and spark excitement for nature study ideas like spiders after reading Charlotte's web, for example. Conversely, there are times it is good to let them wonder. 
So when they come across an answer in a book or article later, they get the thrill of learning something they've always wondered about. They'll have mysteries to mull over their mind and may surprise themselves with answers they can discover from their own observations or inferences. To not know something is not a problem. It is what has propelled humankind to search, discover, and invent since the beginning of time and is the cradle of curiosity. This week we spoke about nature journaling as a tool for nature study, but there are other ways to incorporate nature study into your life, and we will touch on those in our last of the Intro to Nature Study series, Beyond the Nature Journal, next week. I hope to see you next episode, and if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review it on your favorite podcasting app. Until then, stay curious. Stay curious.